Have you enjoyed this great weather that we brought over from Scotland? <laughs> oh, was it here before we came? <laughs> right, right, good. We've had the hottest May in a hundred years in Scotland. We have never had weather like this, never had weather like this. We had friends who, in the church who went over to the Canaries for their holidays and they come back and they had worst weather than what we had in Scotland. Isn't that great? Spending all that money and you could have it in your back garden. <laughs> Tremendous. Thanks very much to Madeline for choosing the hymns for my title for you today, which is, What is God Like? In our church, where we have been there for 58 years, I've been there, my wife Nancy's been there all her life because she was brought up in the church, so I, don't, I won't tell you how often, how long she's been there, but it was longer than me. But in our church, we have a lectern on, the, on our platform, and in the front of the lectern is three words, God is love. Now, they've had several lecterns, but these three words have always been there in the 58 years that I've been in that church. It means that each time a speaker comes on the platform, the people who come into the church see the speaker, obviously, but they also see these three words. And we sit down in the second front seat there, and you know, I've often wondered, what do these words really mean? Do we grasp it? Or is it because they're there all these years, we just get used to the words? But of course, it's a tremendous thing to know, isn't it, that God is love. Now you can say it in three ways. You can say God is love. Or you could say God is love. And of course you could also say God is love. God is love. Anyway, it is God is love. 1 John 4 and verse 7 is some verses for us today, this afternoon. And we trust as we read them, and as we speak to you this afternoon, that you'll get something which will encourage you in your life to go out there. And as we've been singing so much this morning about the salvation, the great gospel of salvation that we all should have. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also should love one another. No one has seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in him. And then in verse 16, And so we know and rely on the love of God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. Amen. John in his epistles is different from the other writers, both in his style and his emphasis. Just as as his gospel differs from the other three gospels, 
that we know. The Apostle John was known as the the beloved Apostle. Three main disciples, Peter, James, and John. And any time you see paintings, or if you see other different things that's carved out, I'm thinking of one particular one, I think it was Madeira or in, and it was this, the Lord's Supper. Jesus in the middle, and John was all was leaning on the Lord Jesus, the beloved disciple. And the content of his letters in many ways is a continuation of his teaching that began in the Gospels. His letters are a a progressive revelation, if you like, of the mind of God. And as a result of that, it should be seen in the life and experience of us believers. And by reading, by receiving, and by obeying that revelation, we should see what God is like. And it should really become a great joy for us as readers of both the Gospels and his epistles. It's also important to know that the person who wrote the Gospel wrote the Apostles as well because we can find that continuity, that development in what is found in the Gospel as we read the Epistles. And many folk have been blessed because they read the Gospel. If you've got a new believer, you've probably asked them to read Mark's Gospel or John's Gospel because they're a simple account of the work of the Lord Jesus. And as we read that, we get a blessing because it's light and it's easy reading, but it's also very profound and that's important. These epistles also give us an insight into the person of John himself. He ministered long enough to be both an eyewitness of the person of the Lord Jesus because he lived where the, when the Lord lived and at the same time grasped the problems and the distractions that came into church life. And of course it was the early church. And these things happened even then. We were going through First Corinthians and Second Corinthians in our own church, seeing a church four years old, only a young church, and the problems in that church in Corinthians. And John tells us his authority in writing this epistle by referring to him, the one who has seen and heard and touched the Lord Jesus himself. And of course, the whole entire Christian faith is founded on Lord Jesus, the Son of God, the one who came into this world to show us the Father and to demonstrate his love by giving his life for us. And it's our prayer, all of you here that who are after, this afternoon who are here, both know and believe that statement in your heart. And if not, what about John's Gospel 3 and 16, the Gospel in a nutshell? God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not death but have eternal life. And so John is not conveying to us details of what he thinks he saw or what he thought was there. He was an eyewitness. He was there. What had been wonderful to have been able to walk the steps of the Lord. We've been fortunate enough to have been years ago to the promised land, to Israel, and to see where the Lord walked. And that was wonderful. But how much more must it have been to be able to be with Jesus and the things that he did, to see what, he's, what happened. 
to realize that he was the one who walked not just on the earth, but he was there for the people as well. You know, when we get a little older, we may not be able to run around as much as we'd like to. Maybe the body would like to would do it, but the mind tells us, no, you can't. You're a bit older. But you know the great thing? Our words take on great experience because of our wisdom that we get that people in the younger age group can't really match. And here's a man who is 90 years of age speaking in 1 John and 1. That which was from the beginning, very similar to his gospel, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have touched at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim to you is the gospel of life. Here is a personal testimony from an old man of, and his experience is he, has the, he knows the risen Lord. So what's the message of this letter for us this afternoon? It's a message that began when God first revealed himself to man, gradually unfounded through the Old Testament and which cumulated in the appearance of Jesus himself as he came into this world. He was born into the, this age. His birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, and ultimate resurrection and ascension. It's a message that God is both love and he's also light. Over and over again in this chapter, John says, we know, we know, we know, we love. And at first, as we look to chapter 1, as we looked at it briefly there, we see in verse 5, God is light. We know, of course, that God created light. We see this way back in the Old Testament in Genesis 1. Psalm 104, David says that God is clothed with light. In the New Testament, Paul describes God as dwelling in the light in 1 Timothy 6. And then Peter comes in in 1 Peter chapter 2 and says, he says that all of us have been called into his wonderful light. And so various authors, various writers are telling us through the scriptures of a God who is light. But it's John, it's John in his letter that we owe the simple but profound revelation that God is light. Not that this statement was new to John, remember. He began his gospel with that statement, that the light shone in darkness, didn't it? And the darkness couldn't comprehend it. And John the Baptist, he came to be a witness of that light there in the gospels. But while we maybe realise the message of this letter, the key, I think, to the epistle is not found until we come here to chapter 4, that God is love. God has spoken about God's love being made complete in us in chapter 2. Of knowing what God's love is in us in 1, 3 and 16. We all know John 3 and 16. Also remember 1 John 3 and 16. That God is love. And here in the 7th verse, he tells us that love comes from God. As if it's emerging from the, the light, emerging from the shadows and the darkness. John then says, God is love. What a tremendous statement. So we're told at the beginning of the letter letter that God is light. We're told in his gospel that God is life. And John also tells us that John is spirit in chapter 4. But it's only when we get here to the verses that we've read this afternoon when we're described as complete with the knowledge 
that God is love. It's then they begin to see and understand all the early statements that were made. They all unite together. That God is love is a key that unlocks a tremendous mystery. And it's because he loved man, the man that he made, mankind that he made, that he created him with the ability to choose. We're not robots. We're choosing life. And God wanted man to choose to love him. And we want to grasp that today. This is what God is like. This is how we can know him. That God is love and the key to it is providence. Not only did God create man, but he continued to provide for mankind, to be interested in him, even to the point and to the extent of sending his son to save us. All this because God is love. And even more, having saved all those folk that he chose to receive him, God cares for them, looks after them. Why? Because God is love. And that God is love is certainly this key to understand our redemption that we have, this salvation that we should have. The only price that would satisfy the demands of a holy God and redeem us from the penalty of sin was that that God, His Son, the Son of God, would lay down His life. And it's that key that also helps us to understand a little bit about heaven too. It was John that said in his gospel that he was going away to prepare a place for us and that he was coming back again. What a place that must be, folks, today. It's taken all this time to prepare that place for us. No wonder the Bible says that the heart can't conceive the things God has prepared for them that love him. And it's because God is love that he is out putting all his work in preparing us for the heaven, for his children. And even more, folks, today, love is the key to understanding Jesus. It's only because we know that God is love. And without it, the story of redemption is really beyond our understanding. We couldn't grasp it if it hadn't been. We would be bewildered with the immensity And unless we realise that it's a product of God's love. It was God that sent His Son and caused the Father to send the Son to be the Saviour of the world. John 3.16 again, isn't it? Every step from the road that will lead from heaven to earth was paved with divine love. And when we look at Jesus, we see that He wasn't immune from enemies, from hunger, thirst, Tiredness, a simple life that he lived down here on earth. But the main message that Jesus conveyed to the world as he lived this life was to re-establish our lost relationship with God himself. And that's why in verse 9 John says, this is how we know God. He showed his love. And in 10, this is love. To measure the extent of God's love, we would need to measure the extent of that sacrifice. And it's because we can't really comprehend God's abhorrence of sin that we can't fully appreciate the cost a righteous God made to have it removed. And yet we see how greatly Jesus must have loved us to bear our sin on his body 
on the cross. What does the wee chorus say? Sin atoning sacrifice. Oh, how precious in my eyes. And then in verse 11 and 12 of this chapter, we get a description of those who are willing to take that part of love, to, to go and unlock the door and walk through. Because we see when God's love is put into practice, we see and are seen to love one another. And you know, that's a difficult thing in a world that we live. Look at the state of the world today. It could, we could say it's actually beyond man to love one another. The evil, the cruelty, the hatred that goes on round about us in our world. But when we have that key, and we take that key of God's love in the lock of the door of our heart, then the light of his love to us becomes, or should come, become natural. Since God loves us, we should love one another. That's a simple statement, isn't it? But so difficult at times to be able to do it. No one has seen God. But when we love one another, we are aware of his living within us. To illustrate, I may never get back to Canada again. I've been before to see a friend over there. Might never get back again. But I know this, that by my emails, by photos, by birthday cards, I've no doubt that she still lives there. It's not necessary that I have to go and see her to know that she lives there. I don't need to live to go personally before I can enjoy that fellowship. So it is with God. I will see him one day just as I hope to see the Lord Jesus one day. And so by turning the key of love in the door of our life, we know that he can live within us. Even folk who buy a, rent a flat or buy a flat, they like to have their own little things in that flat because that's the little pieces that makes it home. So it is in the Christian life. That life that is in us, should be seen in others and it should accomplish in us all which God intends within our lives. So to recap, where does this love come, come from? It comes from God. How is it seen? By sending his one and only son into the world. How do we reciprocate it? We should also love one another. And it's completeness that we might live through him in our life. That's the message. And the key of all this is the realization, the acceptance, the enjoyment of the truth that God is love. What did Jesus himself say? He said in John's Gospel, chapter 13, And you, a command I give you, love one another, as I have loved you. So you must live one, love rather, one another. I would suggest that this command of Jesus is what John is expounding in his older life and illustrating them in these verses today. To, be, to obey this is perfected love that can only be found in the Lord Jesus himself. Jesus was divine and human. He was God and man. The Christian message is supernatural and natural. The gospel is Christ-centered and man-directed. God is invisible and became visible. 
God is invisible and became visible. The Christian life is eternal and temporal. It is spiritual and physical. God's thoughts are infinite. Ours is only finite. But what do we have? We have faith. Faith which is important, which is necessary. And when we have accepted the Lord by faith, he proves his reality to us. Today, what is God like? Love was when God became a man, locked in time and space without rank or place. Love was God born of Jewish kin, just a carpenter with some fishermen. Love was when Jesus walked in history. Lovingly, he brought a new life that's free. Love was God nailed to bleed and die, to reach and love each one of I. But love was when God became a man. Down where I could see love that reached down to me. Love was God dying for my sin. And so trapped was I, my whole world caved in. Love was when Jesus rose to walk with me. Lovingly, he brought a new life that's free. Love was God. Only he would try to reach and love one such as I. And then lastly in verse 16, John says, And we know and rely on God's love. What a blessing is ours today when we not only know, but we have the experience that love of God so much in our life. So much so that we can rely on it. God's ways, they're not our ways. But time and time gone, and so time and time again, we fail to grasp what he's trying to say to us through his word or to do for us. So we need to remember that God really does love us today. And we can rely on that fact this afternoon. That he will always act, he will always move in love towards us. And John suggests that it's the Holy Spirit himself that leads us to rely on God's love. So today, God is love. God repeats and concludes this section of his letter with a declaration of this two-way relationship. Us living in our God and he living in the one who loves and lives in us. Three years ago, in June 15, the city of Paris removed 45 tons of padlocks from the railings of the Pont de Arts pedestrian bridge. It was a romantic gesture. Couples would come along, etch their initials in a lock, attach it to the railing, and click it shut and throw the key into the river Seine. But after this ritual was repeated thousands of times, the bridge could no longer bear the weight of these so much love at that time. And so the city, fearing that the bridge was going to collapse, had to take the, res the responsibility of removing all these padlocks. The locks were there to symbolize ex everlasting love, human love. But it doesn't always last, human love. But there is a love, a constant love, an enduring love, and it's the love of God. Thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever, proclaims the psalmist in 106 and 1. 
And the greatest proof of this love is the death of his son, the Lord Jesus. And these who have, those folk who have put their trust in him, nothing, says Paul, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Friends today, fellow believers today, are you locked into God's love? Let's pray. Father, as we approach your throne today, we thank you for our coming together. We thank you for the desire to be in, in your house with one another, able to come and sing these praises and the worship songs. We thank you too, our Father, for the Lord Jesus. What he accomplished on Calvary for us. We do glory in him this afternoon. He is the majestic one. He's the one who rose triumphant over sin, death and the grave. And we thank you that we have a victorious Saviour today. And so we pray that you'll just bless us as we thank you for this word, this simple word to each of our hearts. But we know, our Father, we can be encouraged through the words. Whether it's someone young or someone as old as John, able to give through his experience that God is love. But as we separate to him who is so immeasurable, more than we could ask or imagine, According to his power that is at work within us, to him and only him, be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ forever and forever. Amen.